0: Hello, and welcome to NHS Resolution podcast. We are an arm's length body of the Department of Health and Social Care that provides expertise to the NHS on resolving concerns and disputes fairly. We handle compensation claims, offer advice on performance concerns and resolve contract disputes, then provide insights back to the NHS to help improve safety. My name is Justine Sharp. And I work in the safety and learning team at NHS Resolution. Our team helps clinicians and the wider health system to use claims data to inform and optimise improvements in patient safety. For this podcast episode we are joined by three experienced guests to discuss claims in the emergency department. We will be referencing three reports released by NHS Resolution in 2022 which shared national learning from what we see in claims across emergency departments. These reports available in the episode description highlighted 10 themes and made a series of recommendations for improving care, which we will be discussing today. Our guests will be offering advice and best practice examples of how teams can use claims data to help drive improvements in safety. without further ado let me introduce you to our guests today um, first we have Chris Moulton um, who is the current getting it right first time lead for the emergency department and also um, comes with a very distinguished background in uh, medicine if you'd like to share that with the listeners
1: Thanks, Justine. I'm I'm not so sure about the distinguished, but I've been a consultant in the north of England, in Bolton, in emergency medicine for the best part of 30 years, uh, and also associated for a long time with the Royal College of Emergency Medicine, although Emma, of course, is representing the college here today. I'm the GERF lead, as you say, for emergency medicine, and Gerft is perhaps one of the main improvement arms of NHS England.
0: Thanks, Chris. And your colleague uh, today is joining you, Darren Best, um, who is also at the Getting It Right First Time uh, team. Um, I'm going to call it GERFT from here on out. Um, tell us, Darren, a bit of your background. Yeah,
2: good morning, uh, Justine. Um, my name is Darren Best. I'm the, uh, the GURFED, uh Workstream Delivery Manager for the UEC element of GURF. So, um, in recent times, i um, I've dealt with the single specialties of emergency medicine, acute medicine and geriatric medicine. But more recently, um, we've put those three specialties together. So we look at the acute floor now. So I've been working with Ger for uh, a number of years, since 2017, actually.
0: And finally, but not least, um, Emma Redfern, a consultant in emergency medicine. Um, please tell us a little bit more about your distinguished career.
3: (laughs) Thank you. Um, My name's Emma Redfern and I'm a consultant in emergency medicine at the Bristol Royal Infirmary where I've been for 12 years. Um, I also work with the college and have been a member of the Safer Care Committee and I was chair for five years and I'm here representing the college today.
0: Thank you. So we know emergency medicine claims cost 700 million and they are the highest volume and second highest value of liabilities in England. Darren, can you tell me in your work with Gerft, are people surprised by this cost?
2: Certainly, when the uh, the, the the main figure is is put to them, yes, absolutely, a um, uh, quite a surprise. But actually, when you break it down, it's it's twenty pound per person who comes through that door of the emergency department. So that again is is a quite a surprise to. Um, uh,
0: and the, that 20 pound that's before any treatment or no well diagnostics?
2: It, 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 it could be anything so if that person came into the emergency department has had no treatment whatsoever or whether that person has uh, been through uh, the trauma pathway it's still 20 pound so it's, it's quite a substantial amount but um, what what has happened certainly with the girved work is that um, we used to have data packs and that that figure was secreted within our data packs and it wasn't readily available to uh, the trust unless you were part of a visit. But um, in recent times, uh, Chris and the, the former uh, colleague, uh, Cliff Mann, um, they provided and sorted out the SEDIT. Uh, the so this is a uh, online platform that's been uh, provided, which is now open source to um, NHS uh, uh, employees.
0: Could, could you tell us what what, what, what's, what does SEDIT mean for our listeners who might not have heard yeah,
2: of it? So SEDIT is an online platform and it's, it basically equates to the Summary Emergency Department Indicator Table. So it's a table that um, shows what's not happening in, in the department but why something is happening. That's what we're trying to put across to um, the um uh, the people are looking at the the platform so it's, it's no view of why something you know you, you have a something going wrong in in the department or there's an issue in the department this this will provide you why that particular issue is is being raised so
1: i don't know if you want to say any more about that that side of it chris no i i think that's good darren i think the important thing is that we're trying to bring the em data to make it available to everybody and we've done that by instead of having a sort of telephone directory of data for each department we have the data online as the said it and it's updated every month on the seventh of the month and that perhaps is the most important thing because it means that everybody's looking at reasonably current data rather than what happened several years ago. So that's what we're trying to do. And, uh, of course, Girth is about getting rid of unwarranted variation. And unwarranted variation is the variation that's bad for the patient, bad for staff, bad for the hospital, uh, bad for the NHS, and bad for the economy in the long run. So that's what we're trying to get rid of. But, of course, you can't get rid of unwarranted variation unless you actually know it occurs in the first place. Uh, and that's why we're putting our data out there. And, sorry. And, and, and part of the, the litigation figure is, is, is part of our
2: outcome measure. So we can then start drilling down and having that discussion with the site. So what we then do is say, are you aware of these uh, litigation figures? And nine times out of 10, the clinicians or the the nursing staff aren't aware. So what what it then provides us with is an opportunity to say to this site, well, this is your figure. Can you have a look at this this figure and, and make sure that it's completely attributable to the emergency department? Once you've had a look at that, then, obviously, the NHS resolutions are on the calls now uh, when, we're, when we're discussing the the site data. And then that provides us with a, uh, a, a more of an in-depth look at, well, let's have a talk with NH- NHS resolutions. And we can start discussing, well, is, is there a certain reason as to why these claims are coming in? So there's a learning. So is there a pathway that needs to be put in and and maybe something
1: different that, to, that helps the... Uh, the patient in the, in the long run. So I think this is perhaps our most important single point today, Justine, is that we're going to departments where their uh, litigation per patient is perhaps £60 for every person that walks through the ED door, so that's three times the average for England. And the lead clinician and the lead managers and the lead nurses don't even know about it. So how on earth can they address this? How on earth can they look at the litigation and try and reduce it if they don't even know they've got such a high level or or indeed what the claims are that are causing it?
0: Yeah, I I agree. I mean... that, that's why we're meeting today isn't it to sort of shed a light that uh, for, for, for everyone to know that uh, you know there, there's the human cost of uh, claims but there's also the huge financial cost of claims but more importantly what girft and nhs resolution and the emergency college are trying to do is, is share those learning insights of the themes and trends so everyone doesn't have to do the the same thing, um, but everyone's got access to this data and we've got got a data set as well at NHS Resolution available through GERFT, but also available directly through us Uh, Last year we published uh, a a data insight and a thematic review around the learning in the emergency department Um, and we wouldn't have been able to achieve that without the emergency uh, college there to help us with identifying um, those themes. Um, We looked at um, in our report a sample of high value and fatality related claims. Emma, can you tell us a little bit more about um, the involvement of the the college in the advisory group and how the group arrived at the themes and what what the themes were in our report?
3: Yeah, thank you, Justine. Um, The college uh, were very supportive of this piece of work, thematic review and and trying to distill uh, the main points for our membership so that we can take those away. Um, and support emergency medicine and and emergency departments in the learning, ideally before they have a claim uh, for a case. Um, It came as no surprise to us that the main themes were around communication, delays, not recognising patients' second, third, fourth attendance as being uh, a red flag in terms of uh, missing potentially a presentation, but also the um, deteriorating patient and how important it is to have mechanisms in place that will help recognise deterioration. And we were also able to provide a pragmatic um, approach to these issues because, of course, ED has a unique set of challenges with... Often several patients arriving unscheduled um, with, with you know, we, we, sometimes we have no prior no- knowledge of that patient and their past medical problems, but also the crowding. And so we have to be able to um, make recommendations that are practical, um, that are easily understood uh, by our members, and we can support them in the delivery of emergency medicine uh,
0: to provide safe care. What are your hopes and have you seen... Um, uh, any of our recommendations biting and, and being used as a lever for improvement?
3: Uh, I have.
0: It's great to see when it's operationalised and,
3: and departments have recognised the importance of these issues. Um, the college are s- supportive and we often run audits um, and quip projects that will support recommendations. For example, the National Early Warning Score and the implementation and use of that Uh, is now widespread across emergency departments and we've run college audits to support uh, departments to understand where their issues are. I think the reports were very useful because they had recommendations for emergency departments and local trusts and then recommendations for national teams because sometimes when you read a report and it makes a recommendation that something should happen, the emergency department don't have the ability to implement those changes. And so those issues have to be taken to a much, much higher level and agreed perhaps with other colleges or other organisations. But I think um, galvanising the recommendations into brief, clear bullet points makes it very easy for an ED to look at the recommendations and, and even just the page where the recommendations are and to start to work out where they are in terms of implementing those do they need resource do they need a business case or is it something that we should just be doing in terms of teaching uh, and making our our clinicians aware of the potential
0: issues with some of the claims thank you I know from my personal experience um, as operational manager in the NHS that using claims data can strengthen a business case to the board or to the ICS to improve you know, diagnostics, really. And and one of the recommendations in our ED report was to work with Royal Colleges to support a feasibility and cost-benefit analysis of increasing MRIs um, to consider, you know, whether MRIs should be made available 24-7 in emergency departments Um I mean, and following that from 20, the 2022 report, um, Girth have now strengthened that recommendation for 24-7 imaging in their cauldron guidance. Um, Chris, can you tell us more about this guidance and its impact on safety?
1: Well, in Girth, we are very interested in seeing how we can reduce these, obviously very important very bad patient experiences because we must remember that of course although litigation is the measurable outcome what we're really talking about is very poor patient experiences and patient morbidity and indeed patient mortality and of course every litigation case has a very sad story behind it both for the patient and for the staff. What we're trying to do in GERFT is rather than just rely on education of staff, because education of staff is obviously very important, but we change our EM workforce every four to six months, or every year at the very, very least. And so to educate a changing group of people can be very challenging. And so one of the things we need to do, rather than rely on education alone, is to re-engineer the system, to change the system, to make it easy to do the right thing, and hard for staff to do the wrong thing. Now, one of the things that's very hard to get is a timely um, magnetic resonance MR scan for people with conditions such as Chorda equina. So we're very, very keen to advocate 24-7 access to MR scanning. And, of course, that also means 24-7 access to reporting because MR scans are a bit difficult to look at, and so you do need a, a skilled radiologist to look at them and tell you exactly what's going on. So we, we think this is very achievable, and what we've done, firstly, um, as many of our listeners will know, reporting is often done offline nowadays, by, um, uh, off-site, I should say, by people who are reporting at a distance. So in actual fact, re- uh, uh, arranging the reporting of the scans actually is not as big a problem as you might think. What's more challenging is getting people to actually take those scans, radiographers to actually do those scans 24-7. And there are several ways of doing this. You can um, have a sort of federated system, which I think probably London is going to look at as it's a big big region. They will look at a system where they have perhaps a a group of hospitals who will arrange 24-hour um, scanning between them. And the other way of, of doing it is, of course, to perhaps use the CT radiographers. These are people who are used to cross-sectional imaging already to use them to do the MR scanning at night. Now, that requires some extra staff and some extra resources, but we're probably only talking something in the region of 150,000 pound per annum. Now when you think that we're talking £150,000 per annum for um, to provide an MR scanning service, and each missed cord required, and probably every hospital has perhaps one every couple of years, uh, and that will cost over a million pounds, you can immediately see that to provide these um, diagnostic services that can protect patients I- is cost effective. It's not just cost effective, it's life-changing for the patients who will protect.
0: Agree, completely life-changing. I mean, yeah, our team published a, a set of reports about the cost and volume of harm for a number of different clinical areas. And, um, you know, w- one of those is, is, is our Corda Aquina report. And I think I think there's around 800 Corda Aquina claims that we reviewed with a total financial cost of around sort of 180 million I mean, not all of the claims involve imaging, but, you know, what I hope is that claims data like this can be used by the system to act as a lever for patient safety improvements. So one of the cross-cutting themes in in, in our report is the delay in accessing um, senior and specialty reviews and handover. And we know that delays causes patient harm and that there are uh, lots of safety initiatives to help with that. In your role at at the college, are there any innovations that you've heard about that you think uh, could, could easily be replicated across the system? Thank you. Um, There's a
3: few strands to this. So for some patients, um, the senior review needed is a senior review in the emergency department. And that particularly relates to patients who have trauma, patients who have chest pain, where the story doesn't quite fit with the more common presentations, such as acute coronary syndrome. And and we're particularly thinking about cases uh, where the patient is suffering from an aortic dissection, where The junior doctor seeing the patient just may not have the years of experience that a senior doctor has and will be able to pick out the differences in the presenting complaint of the patient that will lead you down a path of investigating that patient with a CT scan or an MRI scan, for example. Um, So some of the senior review is within the emergency department, and it's within the emergency department's gift to ensure that there are processes in place that juniors are, able to escalate and ask for a senior opinion and that there's enough consultants on the shop floor to be able to provide a senior opinion at that time. Um, Some of the delays are around specialty reviews um, and a lot of work has been done in some trusts about professional standards relating to the emergency department We know that surgical teams, particularly those who are on call, who are also expected to be in theatre, often have a real difficulty in prioritising the patient who needs to go to theatre, along with the patient who needs a review in the emergency department. And there are trusts who have worked very hard to uh, work together with the teams, the surgeons and the emergency departments, to um, explicitly describe a set of professional standards around the time frame and seniority of review of those patients and an expectation. And also an escalation when that can't happen because the surgical team are in theatre and, and sort of who to go to next And that prevents the patient from waiting a very long time to see the specialty team that they need to see. And that's been very successful, although it is very it's very time consuming. And we've got to make sure that we don't just focus on the emergency side of things, but we also understand the operational pressures that these other teams have. Uh, and I think it's sort of that collaborative working um, that enables those teams to work together in a productive way and not, you know, well, we need to see you now. And and, and the other team saying, well, I'm in theatre now and I can't come um, in terms of the handover of patients. We see lots and lots of problems with handover, both within the emergency department. So a doctor leaving a shift and handing over to another doctor within the emergency department or uh, a doctor handing over to another specialty. And I think that communication, both verbal and written, are really important in those cases. So you have to be explicit in terms of what time you've handed over, uh, what tasks you've handed over for the other clinician to take, um, and you know, and document that in the notes. And also, a sort of, it's really useful to do a summary of, you know, this is this patient. Uh, these are what These are things that they're still waiting for. And we see it time and time again with perhaps imaging that's been requested uh, and and it's not been performed yet or not been reported yet. And we've made a provisional referral to a specialty, but we don't have the imaging report back. And then. You know, things get handed over and and missed and the reports aren't looked at, um, perhaps for, you know, several days.
1: It's interesting to see how often timely imaging and timely reporting of imaging are involved, aren't they, actually, in a lot of the cases. Absolutely
0: aortic dissections close to my for personal reasons it's how my father died and there wasn't a delay in his imaging Um, his imaging was was done quite well but it was a Saturday night and the problem was he needed surgery um, but but it was accessing the surgery and there wasn't as far as I could see a sort of like a network approach to see about available surgeries for, for him but I'm sure that that there are better innovations or are you aware where organizations are getting that right
2: yeah
3: thanks justine i'm so sorry to hear about your dad uh, it must be hard to talk about that today i've been working with both the college and uh the patient charity who have been involved in the think aorta campaign which was around raising the uh, profile of aortic dissection which is very rare uh, and is very difficult to diagnose um and it was first of all um the, the Think aorta, CT, uh, and, and making sure that the uh, junior doctors in the emergency department recognise the differences in the patients who present with aortic dissection and have a very low threshold for requesting imaging. And, of course, that can't be done in isolation with emergency medicine because the imaging aspects of the diagnosis needs to be done by our radiology department And so the radiology department needs to understand that patients present in a very atypical way, but their imaging needs to be very timely. Um, And I'm really proud to say that the two colleges, so the College of Emergency Medicine and the Royal College of Radiologists, worked together and produced our first joint guidance in the diagnosis of thoracic aortic dissection, which was published uh, about 18 months ago. And uh, that had recommendations for timeliness of imaging and timeliness of reporting, but of course, there is another aspect, because once you've made the diagnosis, if you're in a hospital that doesn't have cardiac surgery, the patient then needs to be referred to another team and transferred, and, and these patients are are extremely unwell. And so I'm really pleased to report that this has been a main focus for NHS England, and I was at a meeting last Tuesday where the South West team and the South East team met together to agree their supra-regional Thoracic dissection pathway—it's a bit of a mouthful—and um, in the room there were emergency clinicians, there were cardiac surgeons, there were um, representation from uh, SWAST, which is our Southwest Ambulance Trust, and Retrieve, which is the uh, the, the team that retrieve very sick patients and do transfers. Um, and we were able to discuss the best method of referral and we think that that's an electronic platform where uh, the the ED team are able to fill in an electronic uh, online form and uh, send that across to Um, the cardiac surgeons, sometimes with a phone call too, um, but the cardiac surgeons are then able to respond to that and provide advice and support during our preparation for transfer. And also the team who are doing the transfer were able to say, well, we have a checklist of things that we need the ED to have done uh, prior to us being able to take this patient to another centre, you know, and we need to make sure the patient's got cross much blood uh, and, uh, you know, various lines and various support, and we'll often need a a medical, um, medically qualified assistant to help that transfer too. And it was just great to see all those um, organisations and all those clinicians working together to agree a process uh, which we're going to be able to describe in a document which will then be sent out to all the, the emergency departments and the cardiac units. And one of the things that was I thought was really important was that the um, if there's no bed at a particular unit, it can't then go back to the ED to try and find another place. It, it needs to be managed at, at a cardiac unit level. And so the cardiac surgeons were very understanding in that and, and were able to sort of facilitate a process where they
0: would talk to each other about where the best place for the patient would be. Yeah, I think that improved communication, not just inside an organisation, but across organisations for conditions like this is is, is really important, learning from each other. And I, I think Imogen is, is the same, isn't it, uh, Chris, for Corda Aquina, it's that sort of like that access, that interpretation, that working together.
1: Yes, that's right. What Emma has told us about is a really great example of what we mean by re-engineering the system to make it easier for the nurses and the doctors to do the right thing for the patient in an easy way. It's also really important that clinicians recognize the fact that they need a relatively low threshold for investigation because, although clinical signs are very important, uh, sometimes they just are delaying factors or uh, confusing factors and really what you do need is a definitive imaging. So chordae is another good example where it's very, very hard to tell clinically whether a patient has got an operative lesion or not. And so the best way of dealing with this really is timely MR scanning and again we need to make sure that the pathways are there to make it easy and quick for the uh, doctors and nurses to get not only get the imaging make the diagnosis and refer the patient to a surgeon who can stop them having what will be a life-changing condition if we don't get it right
2: Emma could I could I ask um, obviously you've got the the southwest and the southeast on board is there a hope and a wish that this would roll out nationally?
3: Oh, yeah, I think all regions have been tasked with looking at it. And I think the uh, the pathways are in evolution. But I know that the cardiac surgeons are talking to each other across the country. Um, and there will be, um, for the southwest and the southeast, there will be the super regional pathway. But there will obviously be some bespoke uh, Alterations to that to suit local units, particularly ones that are really far away from from the cardiac centres. Um, but they've already been talking to each other about, uh, you know, uh, the tri- initial triage of patients, the timeliness of imaging, and I think, you know, for me, it, 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 the college, uh, the patient charity, the Royal College of Radiology, NHS England, the cardiac surgeons, the vascular surgeons, you know, it, it's just. All of them play such a crucial part in, in the management of these, these patients and the transfer services um, that getting them all together to, you know discuss, agree, um, is just great to see.
0: One of, one of the things that we haven't talked about, which I'd like to sort of mention, is around the personal impacts of being involved in a claim for the families and for the patient directly, but also for the staff um, involved. So, Emma, can you tell me what the, what the college does now to um, support staff that are involved in, 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 a, in a harm incident?
3: Uh, Thank you. The college is um, exceptionally supportive of a just culture approach and learning from incidents and claims. Um, Also um, aware of the personal impact on patients, families, and of course our staff, clinicians involved in these complaints and claims, um, and often there's a very profound uh, negative impact on those individuals. Of course, at local level, really, this is where the opera- operationalization of uh, a just culture, an open culture, a learning culture is most important. And it's very difficult sometimes in emergency medicine because we are often overwhelmed um, and, uh, you know, exceptionally busy with with all the, the crowding issues that we see, um, for a leadership to triumvirate, so the nursing, medical and management team, to be able to forge ahead with um, open and just cultures in the way that they would like to. We see lots and lots of recommendations in multiple reports, which are all pertinent and important to the emergency department, but it's sometimes very difficult to manage all of those, you know, those... Um, recommendations in a timely fashion, and uh, and also juggling the opera- the operational situation that we see in the emergency department.
1: But of course, an ED being very busy doesn't really help the patient very much. And of course, the law expects the patient to have the highest standard of care, no matter how busy the department is. And and so having that kind of positive culture really is very important all the time, isn't it, Darren?
2: It, uh, absolutely, and, and I know certainly through our deep dives that we've uh, undertaken with some of the trusts, using the SEDIC, we can see some of the cultural issues as well um, within some of the departments. Um, we, we've, we found that some of the departments, they, they've got great uh, uh, demand and uh, capacity within their uh departments but actually they're not delivering and and sometimes we can find that out by having a look at the staff survey and some of the other metrics within the set it actually you know there's there's cultural issues that that obviously need to be discussed between the 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 hierarchy of the hospital both the executive team and the and the clinical and nursing teams
0: yeah i mean i i personally am welcoming the change to the safety landscape uh, that the national team are putting in it's supportive in their uh, the way that they are uh, arranging their investigations is much more through a sort of human factors route and through w- seeking sort of collaboration across the teams. I'm a therapist by background myself, so a, a shout out to uh, you know the, the, the physios and the other therapists that are helping um, in, in the ED in, in terms of you know pressure ulcers and escalation and identification of um, you know a deteriorating uh, patient working sort of collectively together there. The importance of the multidisciplinary team in not just the ED, but you know, in, in hospitals in general, uh, can really help uh, improve patient safety outcomes we see that missing in some of our claims really is that opportunity to um, have discussed and have that multi-perspective on a condition. But with that, you need uh, the, the team to have the vulnerability and the psychological safety uh, in organisations, which is uh, sometimes quite difficult if, if it's really busy. Do we have any uh, good examples of uh, trusts that have got that strong sort of multidisciplinary team? Um, so from my own trust, we've got um, advanced
3: care physios working as part of our emergency department team and they have been absolutely critical in the um, progression of our pathway for Cordura So they are subject matter experts in the um, examination, particularly, and uh, presentation of patients with back pain. Um, and they have not only been liaising with the community teams in terms of how patients are referred in from the community with suspected Cordura but have also been liaising with our radiology teams and radiographer teams about timeliness of scan and, uh, and, and how important it is for these patients to move through the system very quickly. The other thing they've done is to provide us with great teaching. So they both on the shop floor at the time, and we often, you know, if a patient's presenting with back pain and there's, you know, some red flags in the history, you would often go and find one of the physios and say, I'm, I'm struggling with this a bit, can you help? So they provide that real time and also into our formal teaching programme. Um, the only problem is they're not there 24 hours a day. Um, but the hopefully the teaching and the support that they provide will help our, our clinical team who are present on the shop floor in the night when when our physios aren't there to sort of learn those key messages and and be able to support them when they're seeing patients in the night.
1: Yes, that's been exactly the same in my own department, Emma, and, of course, as you say, in the national way, this has all evolved.
0: So recognising um, your strategic expertise Mm. um, and extensive operational experience in improving services in the ED... Um, I'm going to ask a difficult question now, really, put you all on the the spot, but what one thing um, should and could clinicians do who are listening to the podcast today? So first to Emma. (laughs) Thanks.
3: Um, So I um, would be really keen um, to support uh, NHS Resolution, and I know that we have been working very closely as two organisations, and we have come up with... Um, a a collaboration where um, there is a tool and a platform about to be introduced to try and help emergency departments to implement the recommendations of these reports. And at the moment, it's in a pilot stage. Uh, We are just fine tuning the approach to how we can support emergency departments to implement these recommendations, but we are we will be looking very shortly for teams to put themselves forward to be part of the pilot, so that we can understand um, in 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 a pragmatic way how these tools might support emergency departments to deliver the recommendations and therefore deliver safer care and support both the patients, the families and the clinicians in reducing claims by
0: implementing better pathways for patients. Yeah, thanks Emma. And Chris, the same question uh, to you. What uh, one thing could and should uh, listening clinicians, nurses do?
1: Well, I think that most people listening will know the famous story of how Dr. Snow ended the cholera epidemic uh, in Soho by taking the pump handle off the water pump in Broad Street. And that's about not teaching people about cholera, but ending it by practical action. And I would encourage everybody to go back to the department, look at something that's causing a problem, looking at something that's causing patient delays or patient harm, and change the system to try and make it harder for that thing to happen. Yeah,
0: thank you and darren
2: i think it would be remiss of me not to s- talk about the sedit, it um, which you can also find on the nhs apps area within the uh, nhs platform but um, certainly for uh, uh, both uh, clinicians and uh, nursing staff as well as executive teams to have a look at the platform make sure the data is correct and keep reviewing and i suppose uh Communication is is part of that discussion, so that would help with uh, some of the outcomes for the patients, and maybe looking at your um, litigation scores, because litigation scores is 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 probably a uh, a top tier review of how actually your services are being delivered. So maybe you know have a look at that.
0: Thanks to our guests, Chris, Emma and Darren for sharing their insights and experience for this episode and to everyone who listened, we hope you found it useful. You can find further resources related to our discussion in the description of this podcast or by visiting the resource section of our NHS Resolution website. If you have any feedback about today's episode, please do get in touch. Um, the email to reach us on is resolution.org nhs.uk. We will be producing more podcasts in the coming months so please do subscribe to our channel and this means you'll get notified when an episode uh, is released. Thanks for listening.